So I have a question for you as we turn our hearts towards the Lord's word. And that is, if you could go back and talk to yourself back around New Year's time, what would you ask or encourage yourself to do looking forward? I'm guessing that it wouldn't be to invite yourself to purchase that uh, spring break trip on the cruise. And it probably would be something like to, to purchase stock in antibacterial hand lotion companies. But, but as we look back, I think it's amazing for me to think about how much really has changed. And as we turn our hearts towards Lord, the Lord's word today, when we think of his word being steadfast for us, I want to remind you of this, this beautiful little phrase in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to ask you to bow your heads together with me as we come before a Lord that has been the same, even in the midst of so many inconsistencies around us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you today that as we reflect on what all is changing around us, Lord, I thank you that your steadfast love has been the same from the beginning to the end, that, that you are the same from the beginning of creation to today and for eternity looking forward. And I pray in the midst of so many unknowns and questions and things that are inconsistent in our life, I thank you. I praise you today for your consistency. I thank you for your steadfast love that never changes. And as our hearts uh, cry out to you on behalf of those many who we know that are either in hospital or who are anticipating uh, things, procedures this week, we just pray for them. We pray for your comfort and your peace. I pray for those in our church family who have lost jobs or who are anticipating attempting to try to find jobs in the near future. Lord, would you provide for their needs? And I pray today as we study this, this ancient story of the early church as it began, that there were so many unknowns for them. But what I appreciate so much, Lord, is that they set their gaze upon you. Lord, that you were their anchor, that you were the thing that they set the heading of their lives upon that was consistent. And while everything else was changing, that they knew that they could put their trust firmly in you. We thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege to be able to worship you, even if it is separate, but together. And I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified this morning as we study your word together. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. I love the statement by A.W. Tozer that described what it means for us to be unified even in the midst of our diversity. It said this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers who uh, each so 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be any other way. In some ways, that's what we do when we are separate from each other, yet we're gathering together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this morning, as we turn our, our eyes and our hearts to, back to God's word, as we're studying the early church, as it was unstoppable, an unstoppable movement of God, one of the things that we're going to see today was what it looks like when unity happens in the midst of diversity, what happens when community functions in the way that God intended for it. We're going to see this image that's going to flow out of God's word, that there were individuals in the early church that saw their possessions, not as their possessions, but instead they saw them as, as objects for God to use for his glory. In some cases, they gave sacrificially in such a way that all of their needs were met because of their willingness to break that chain of being, having their possessions own them. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. This is an encouraging passage of scripture. It was a time in history where you could just sense the celebration of what was happening. And it's so important that we note that this was going to be a time of famine in, the, in, the, um, in that time period. There was going to be a time where there was serious lack that was going to take place surrounding them. But in the midst of that context, I want you to hear these words of abundance that came because individuals saw their things not as their own. Beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of the lands, of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This, this glimpse into the early church is one that did not lack need, but what it did have in abundance were people who chose to be generous with their possessions. I love these phrases. And as we study these verse by verse, I want you to catch with me. The first point that really flows out of the text is that true unity comes from sharing a common belief did you see what it says in the text there? That it describes their hearts and their souls as being knit together. The core of their being, it says in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe, which we now know are in the thousands, were of one heart and of soul. I, I like the way that Tozer put that, the tuning fork. Kids, you might not even know what that is, but the, 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 the tuning fork is something that was used to set all of the musical tones at the same exact pitch. And here in his description, he's saying that that's what we ought to be doing when it comes to the way we approach the God of the universe, that he's the thing that draws us together. I'm guessing for some of you, you can relate to me that there have been people in my life that I've met that, that I, as I come to know their faith and hear their story about Christ, they, they may have been someone that I've only known for minutes, 
but that I can relate to them and, and feel like I know them, like I've known them my entire life. That there's a unity that comes from sharing just even proximity with Christ followers that, that can be even closer than a blood relative that doesn't know Christ. Now, now I, I, I'm so encouraged by seeing this because what happened in the early church that was that they didn't have a long history with each other at this point. What they have is this common bond that knits together the most intimate parts of them, their hearts and their souls under the guise of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. So we know that we can share our hearts and souls with one another and, and we can be in tune with one another by being in tune with the Lord. That we can find ourselves resonating with his work because of what we're observing. You know, in those days, we, we might be confused by looking back and thinking they, they were unified because of their similarities. But if we reflect back to Acts chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, just, just listen to the diversity that was a part of the early church. It says this, they're Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. The message of the gospel as it spread was not left to one people group, one demographic, but that it permeated the lives of so many. And, and their unity came not because of the fact that they looked the same or even spoke the same language, but it, because, it was because of the fact that they were unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. This leads us to the second point this morning, and that is truth wealth comes from sharing, not possessing. I want to re-say that again. True wealth comes from sharing, not possessing in our lives. Verse uh, chapter 32, the second part of it says this. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Those words, if you, if you take the time to really consider what those words mean, that means that the people who spent hours of their life, their, their livelihood, we say that word, right? That they invested in jobs and, and blood, sweat, and tears. They, they built what they owned and possessed. And that that because of their common love for Christ, that they were willing to see those things that they had invested their life into as being utensils for the Lord to use for his glory. And in this case, it was to bless other people who may have needed it more. That, that they understood, if you really think of these words, when they, they say that none of these things that legally were theirs, they were going to possess them or allow them to possess them, that they were going to be open-handed with them. You've heard the, the cliche that there's no U-Hauls on hearses. I, I, I can't believe when you go to museums and you see the stories of ancient Egypt, the the, the descriptions of the fact that so often individuals would bury themselves with their wealth. And you think about how empty wealth becomes when we go from one generation to the next, that it, it literally is something that we cannot long-term possess. We can try to pass it down, but, but there's nothing that we can do with it that is eternal except for investing it into people who are eternal. 
I love that video that started the service this morning. I, it made me emotional when I first saw it because I recognized that there have been people who chose to not do something at another place in the world with their possessions. They chose to invest it. Our denomination does a phenomenal job of stewarding God's resources and that they choose to invest them. And when, when I see those people being God's representatives in places around the world that have limited or no access to the gospel, what I recognize is that there was somebody who made a sacrifice here that led to a point in history where someone else is so blessed because a person laid down their possessions for the sake of someone else. It's, it's a story that we see around us. Hope Church is a generous church. You have been giving generously and sacrificially. In fact, what we've seen in this last few weeks is that people have given uh, sacrificially to help to support other people who, who may need it. In fact, we have an abundance of resources that the Lord's provided for us because of the fact that people are continuing to give generously. It's so encouraging. They, did, you, did you see that phrase in the text that they said it did not, they, they see that it did not belong to them. And, and, and maybe a way that might help us to apply this in our life is to see the possessions that we have as being gifts from God, but also that those possessions are on loan from him. That, that they're not really mine. That, that I'm, I, I see them as gifts from the Lord that are on temporary loan. You know, this, this, time period in history. Some have confused this with, with modern day communism or they still had possessions. This wasn't forced by a government. This wasn't a rule. In fact, later we see individuals that had homes that were a part of the early church. Don't get confused by what this was. This wasn't something that was a forced thing to move into something where they had to lay down their possessions. No, this was something that was that was marked by joy, that they're giving something generously because they believe that it's God's. Do you remember in history the moment when the Lord Jesus Christ looked at what were descri was described in scripture as a wealthy young man, a rich young man, and, and that young man had, um, we, we don't know what he had, but we know that he was wealthy. And the Lord Jesus looked at him and he said to him, after the man had declared to God that he, or to the Lord Jesus, that he had lived a faithful life, that he wanted to know what it meant to follow Christ. And the Lord Jesus said to him, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck by when Jesus said that, that I think he saw something in this man that I'm afraid is a temptation for many of us, myself included. And that is that that man saw those possessions as something that were his to protect and to maintain and to keep and to, 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 and what the Lord said to him was, was just let it go, buddy. Like, like you got to let that go. If you're going to be used by me for my glory. And the guys who are, were watching right now in the book of Acts went through that. Peter had to leave his nets behind. He, he had to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord is a master at this. With the disciples, he even said to them when they, when they were going out from, from Jerusalem, that he said to them that they didn't need to take an extra cloak with them, leave their purses behind their wallets. And, and he was saying this to them because he was saying something that I believe was really essential. And that is as valuable as possessions are, those possessions need to be understood as tools to be used by the Lord but they don't define our ministry. They don't define our value. The Lord Jesus said this. He said, foxes have holes 
and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. That, that I believe is a, a reminder to me that the Lord decided that he was going to invest his life into the things that were around him that were eternal. And we're not saying today that possessions are bad, but what we're saying is when our possessions begin to possess us, then they move into a place that is dangerous in our life. And, and the early church showed that they understood what possessions were, what, what it meant for them to be loose-handed in what God had provided for them. It's also important for us this morning to understand that this isn't just about their possessions. This wasn't about things or their finances or their resources. But in the text, what we see is that they were also willing to be generous with their testimony, their story, what God had done, to be able to declare to other people around them what God was doing. And for some of us, that may be the most valuable asset that we can offer to another person. Did you see it in verse 33? It's great. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and with and a great grace was upon them all. Let me reread that. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Do you remember they saw it? They'd seen the resurrection. They, they knew the evidence of the resurrection and they were just telling their story. One of the things that I believe God is asking us to do right now is, is for us to be willing to be generous with the story of hope that we hold dear. I, I grieve a story that is a family of an individual that's in mourning with a family member right now that, that is grieving the fact that, that their father who's passed away was someone who they never quite took the energy. They never had the ability to humbly share the truth of the gospel with them. And in this story, as you hear it, there, there's a different kind of mourning that comes from that. And, and you think on contrast of that from stories of individuals who've invested their life in sometimes long suffering with just saying, I just want you to know that I love you and the Lord loves you. I want you to know that there's peace that can be offered to you. There's hope that be, can be given to you in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and in God's word. And so when we talk about being generous, for some of us, that generosity means our finances and our pocketbooks and just being willing to see our possessions as God's possessions to be used for his glory. Perhaps one of those possessions that we have is the very work that he's done on our behalf that we find ourselves being willing to say, this is my story. This is what God did for me. Like the disciples said earlier, how can I... Can I, how can I be silent about what I've seen and heard? And here it says that they did this with great power. They shared this with great grace. I, I want to take a moment to remind you today that, that some of what we're going through requires us to have a little more grace than normal. Do you see this in the text? It says, and great grace was upon them. I want to pray right now for all of us to experience great grace. You remember grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. We understand the greatest work of grace was what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf to forgive us of our sins. And right now, as we're working hard to do relationships together, one of the things that I've learned through this time period is I need to be someone who gives great grace to the people who are around me. Some who are struggling emotionally, some physically, some making different decisions than the decisions that I would make with the same data 
that they have. And as we wrestle with the universality of what we're all going through, I think one of the things that can naturally creep into us is to forget to be people who give great grace to others. So here, the disciples in the early church, it says that they experienced great power and they gave great, or they experienced great grace. I think that that grace was truly what it meant to be in the presence of the living God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was working through them. And it was so effective. Verse 34 says this, it was so effective that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them. Uh, Maybe a better way to put that is for many of those owners of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and they distributed each to as any had need. Now, I want to catch this. This is really important. This may be the most important thing that I'm going to share with you this morning. Is that that we all want to be the people who are the givers. For, for this to have worked in the early church, it, it required something that's really, really hard. It required some people to admit that they had a need. Something that I'm noticing around me pastorally is that I'm noticing the fact that needs for some people are increasing more. Emotional needs, spiritual needs, even physical needs are increasing and one of the things that I notice about us, maybe it's us rugged Northeast Ohioans. Maybe it's just the pride that's natural inside of each one of us. I know this for myself is that I'm a person that would rather do things by myself, uh, kind of pull myself up by the bootstraps than to ask someone to help me. You know, that's home improvement projects. That's times in my life we, when we were doing grad school, seminary. Remember that we, we went without any furniture in our house or this little chair and a half. And, and, and we went that way for a long time. There were people around us who, who would have blessed us in a second if we'd asked for help. But we were, we were proud. We were fine. We, we were going to be, be willing to make do with what we had. But, but what we're seeing is that we're seeing this, that some of us are emotionally really struggling. And when somebody asks you how you're doing, you may just have to be willing to allow yourself to be honest you know what, actually, I'm struggling right now. I actually could use some prayer. I could use some encouragement. Spiritually, for some of us, we we have to just recognize that some of us, they're in a season right now where you're really wrestling with God, that you have tough questions. And and I want to encourage you in the midst of that, that, that it's okay to ask those questions. And then when it comes to the physical need, one of the things that we want to be is people who are generous And sometimes I think it's our pride that keeps us from being willing to allow someone to bless us. It's interesting to me, this third point that comes out of the text is that true prosperity can come from sharing your needs. So think about that word sharing. I'm giving and I'm taking. True prosperity can flow from that process. That's what we see happened in the early church I like the way that one leader puts it. He says, be smart enough to know that when you need help, um, be smart enough to know when you need help and be brave enough to ask for it. I like the way that uh, this, um, that uh, the the rocker Rick um, Oskasek puts it this way. He sees refusing to ask for help when you need it is refusing someone the chance to be helpful. 
I don't know how to say this any other way, but to say that the early church, when it says that none of them had needs, that there had to have been a moment in the midst of that where people who lacked were willing to share it with others that were around them. Needs are met through needs that are shared. One of the most controversial things that I have done as a missions pastor prior to coming to Hope was that I would require individuals who are raising or preparing to go on an international missions trip to raise support. And it's controversial. I mean, people have been frustrated. Why would you make that? I can just write the check. But, but one of the things that I think is really important, and it's very humbling for us, is to have to reach out to other people and ask them to support us. And part of the reason why that was something that I, I tried to make as a rule in, on missions trips in the past was partially because there, there may be a day when God calls you to the mission field and, and that same person is not just going to be raising support for a week, but for a lifetime. And, and I'll tell you, when, when I've had to go through that humbling process of saying, can I, can, can I ask you to help me to be a part of this? There's something that happens there. And you see it so often that people actually see it as a privilege to partner with you in ministry. And so for some of us, we might stand back and we might say, I am not going to ask someone to help me. And I think you might be suffering because of that. I think you might be missing out on what it means to understand that there's a time to be a person who receives. And there's a time to be a person to give. We all prefer to be givers. But at times, it's appropriate and even God's will for us to be people who receive. I, I love this, this text in so many ways. And I, I love that, that it just reminds us of these, these truths about what it meant for the early church to function beautifully. I want to remind you of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, that, that it, it talks about humility. And I've, I've been really wrestling with what it means to be humble and understanding biblically that sometimes humility just means that I'm admitting a need. And the first thing that he's encouraging us in this passage is to admit our need to the Lord. And I think there's also a component of this that we find ourselves blessed in the midst of admitting our needs to others. It says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want to challenge you today to consider through prayer, humbling yourself before the Lord. I also want to encourage you, and I think we can all fit ourselves in this category, to be humble enough to include others in your struggle. Last week, we talked about community and that the deceiver wants to isolate you. I think one of the ways that he isolates us is for us to internally communicate to others that we have no need for their help. In some ways, uh, this is an image that's helped me is to, to picture our lives like a giant sailboat that we're in, that we can't sail it by ourselves, that we, we need other people to help us to keep this thing moving forward. And I, and I think for some of us, we're just trying to do it on our own. This next, uh, this next portion of the passage in verse 36 is, is really special to me. It's really encouraging to me. This is, this is what I want to be in my life. Look at what he says in verse 36. So, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field, belonged to him, brought the money, he laid it at the apostles' feet. This word 
encouragement is, is such a fantastic word. I want you to think about it like this, that, that a person can be a person who fills another individual with courage, that they can fill someone with courage to be able to keep moving forward, to have, have the strength to take the next right step, to, to be someone who inspires you. When, when you think about a name change, that the disciples were around him and they, they agreed that Barnabas was going to be a man, that, that they described this Joseph in such a way that he, we're going to change his name to Barnabas because the guy just fills everyone around him with encouragement. It's pretty convicting, but, but I want to ask you to consider if, if someone were to change your name, if they were going to look at your life and, and say, hey, she is a daughter of, or he is a son of, I, I hope that, that one of the things that they could say about you is that you are a person who is a person that fills other people around you with encouragement. And we're going to see port, parts of the story of Barnabas as we go forward, and we're going to see that he was a man who was selfless. We already see that here in this chapter. He, he sacrificially gave. That land was something that was a possession of him that he chose to be open-handed with and to provide it for others. And then what we see is that, is that we see that he provided it in such a way that God could use it however he wanted to. So encouraging for me. So, so would someone on the outside call you a son of encouragement? They say you are a son of joy, a son of hope, a, a giver of blessings, or would they say something else? I don't know how that fits for you. I want to try to apply these truths in our lives in a couple of specific ways. The first question by way of application for you that I want to ask you to reflect on is, what are you holding tight to that God wants to use? What are you holding tight to that God is asking for you to be open-handed with. That might be money, might be resources, might be something else. But I want to ask you to consider that. The second question, and this one I think is probably going to be one of the most helpful from this message this morning, is what need do you need to humbly share with the Lord and with others today? What need do you humbly, this could be spiritual, this could be physical, this could be emotional, but what do you need to share with someone today? And, and I've already hinted at this, but, but if, if God were going to rename you something, what would that name be? And what, what would you want that name to be? How would you want them to fill in the blank for you? One of the things that we are so encouraged by is that we are a part of a church family that understands what it means to give sacrificially. I want to challenge you today to consider what it means for you to receive sacrificially. And in that process, I believe the Lord can work in our lives in such a way that he can be glorified in the way that we share well with one another. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for Hope Church and the fact that we are people who want to be people who obey your leadership in our lives. And I pray that we would be people who are quick to share, quick to share our faith, quick to share what you've blessed us with. And I really believe that, that this early church understood something, that they couldn't categorize their faith in such a way that had certain areas that weren't touched by their faith. 
but instead that their faith permeated everything. I pray that as we close out this time in worship, as we sing with one accord in our places all around Northeast Ohio, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen.